Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at forwardradio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 350, the 2022 National Security Strategy. The National Security Strategy is a document that is released every year by the White House, This year, it is a 48-page document, and it was released on October 12th, 2022. Let's read the first couple of paragraphs and then go from there. From the earliest days of my presidency, I have argued that our world is at an inflection point. How we respond to the tremendous challenges and unprecedented opportunities we face today will determine the direction of our world and impact the security and prosperity of the American people for generations to come. The 2022 National Security Strategy outlines how my administration will seize this decisive decade to advance America's vital interests, position the United States to outmaneuver our political competitors, tackle shared opportunities, and set our world firmly on a path toward a brighter and more hopeful tomorrow. Around the world, the need for American leadership is as great as it has ever been. We are in the midst of a strategic competition to shape the future of the international order. Meanwhile, shared challenges that impact people everywhere demand increased global cooperation and nations stepping up to their responsibilities at a moment when this has become more difficult. In response, the United States will lead with our values and we will work in lockstep with our allies and partners and with all those who share our interests. We will not leave our future vulnerable to the whims of those who do not share our vision for a world that is free, open, prosperous, and secure. As the world continues to navigate the lingering impacts of the pandemic and global economic uncertainty, there is no nation better positioned to lead with strength and purpose than the United States of America. Now let's go to page 8 where we're going to focus on a section called The Nature of Competition between democracies and autocracies. This section is about a page and will occupy most of the rest of our time. It starts, The range of nations that supports our vision of a free, open, prosperous, and secure world is broad and powerful. It includes our democratic allies in Europe and the Indo-Pacific, as well as key democratic partners around the world that share much of our vision for regional and international order, even if they do not agree with us on all issues, and countries that do not embrace democratic institutions, but nevertheless depend upon and support a rules-based international system. Americans will support universal human rights and stand in solidarity with those beyond our shores who seek freedom and dignity, just as we continue the critical work of ensuring equity and equal treatment under law at home. We will work to strengthen democracy around the world, 
because democratic governance consistently outperforms authoritarianism in protecting human dignity, leads to more prosperous and resilient societies, creates stronger and more reliable economic and security partners for the United States, and encourages a peaceful world order. In particular, in particular, we will take steps to show that democracies deliver, not only by ensuring the United States and its democratic partners lead on the hardest challenges of our time, but by working with other democratic governments in, and the private sector to help emerging democracies show tangible benefits to their own populations. We do not, however, believe that governments and societies everywhere must be remade in America's image for us to be secure. Now let's go back up and critique a little bit of what we've read. It says, the range of nation that supports our vision of a free, open, prosperous, and secure world is broad and powerful. Okay, this sentence presupposes that we, the United States, the government, support a free, open, prosperous, and secure world. How can we say we support a free, open, prosperous, and secure world when we're always making war on the rest of the world? How can we say that we support a free, open, prosperous, and secure world if we're needlessly practicing brinksmanship with another nuclear power? How can we say we support a free, open, and prosperous world when our own hemisphere includes some of the worst examples of deprivation as a result of American policies, the policies of U.S. corporations and the policies of the State Department and the Defense Department? The United States for a hundred years and more has endlessly harassed and subjugated the peoples of Latin America. Pick any country in Latin America and it has been adversely affected by U.S. policy. You can start with those countries that are our official enemies, such as Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. These, these countries face uh, endless embargoes and sanctions and trade restrictions as a result of the fact that they're not obedient to the United States. It's actually pretty remarkable what Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela have done with the resources that they have in light of the fact that they are not allowed to trade freely with the rest of the world. So the national security estimate here says, we support a free, open, prosperous, and secure world. Well, scratch off the free and open part. If you're an enemy of the United States, then you uh, face serious burdens on your freedom and your prosperity. Okay, the next issue I want to take uh, take issue with is the language of uh, we are democratic and the, the, making the distinction between the United States as the democratic leader of the world and other countries as authoritarian. Whoever is not our uh, ally is authoritarian. 
It says here, we will work to strengthen democracy around the world because democratic governance consistently outperforms authoritarianism. Okay, since when, I'm serious, since when are we working to strengthen democracy around the world? When did we start doing that? For example, when did we start supporting democracy in Nicaragua? Nicaragua has always been uh, trying to shape its own democracy, and the, the democracy of Nicaragua has faced nothing but hostility and violence from the United States, and that continues up until the present day. Venezuela has a really good democracy with really good elections. Their elections are more frequent than ours. Their elections are more uh, open than ours. Their elections are more easily verified than ours. And, and then conversely, you have countries like Saudi Arabia that are among the most brutal, authoritarian, patriarchal, and undemocratic countries that receive the unconditional love and support of the United States. So when it comes to the concept of democracy, the U.S. has democracy at the level of rhetoric, but not at the level of reality. And when we claim to be supporting democracy at other, uh, other places around the world, that is simply rhetoric that does not square with reality. Okay, so it says here, Americans will support universal human rights and stand in solidarity with those beyond our shores who seek freedom and dignity. Okay, the first thing that comes to mind here is Julian Assange. Julian Assange should enjoy freedom of the press and freedom of speech but instead, he's locked up in a British prison at the behest of the United States. And his crimes, quote-unquote crimes, only include you know, releasing information that is damning and unflattering to the powers that be in the United States. So apparently, universal human rights do not extend to an Australian citizen who has offended the powers that be, including both parties in the United States. It says here, we will work to strengthen democracy around the world because democratic governance consistently outperforms authoritarianism. Okay, did we work to strengthen the democracy of Iran in 1953? No, they had a democratically elected government. Uh, Mohammed Mossadegh was the prime minister, and instead we subverted that government. We destroyed democracy in Iran in 1953. The next year we destroyed democracy in Guatemala because they had a democracy, but the leader, Jacobo Arbenz, was not to the liking of the United Fruit Company, was not to the liking of John Foster Dulles, was not to the liking of the Eisenhower administration, so he had to go. So, so much for democracy in Guatemala in 1954. 
1973, we subverted the democracy of Chile, which had elected a you know, popularly elected a president by the name of Salvador Allende. He was not to the liking of the Nixon administration or Henry Kissinger or the U.S. corporations. So Salvador Allende had to go and was replaced with a brutal fascist dictator by the name of Augusto Pinochet or Pinochet. And how can we talk about human rights or democracy when we go into Iraq? And, you know, Iraq was one of the countries in the Middle East which had a substantial middle class and was no longer a third world country. But then uh, Saddam Hussein had to be uh, gotten rid of, not because he was a, a authoritarian, but because he was too independent. And the same thing with Noriega in Panama. He was they got rid of him not because he was a drug lord, as the you know the official claim was. They got rid of him because he was too independent. Bashar al-Assad in Syria, there, you know, 500,000 people have died at, in a U.S. orchestrated civil war that started in the Obama administration in an operation called Timber Sycamore. And Bashar al-Assad is being opposed not because he, you know, he's a brutal dictator or anything like that, He's being opposed because he's too independent, because he's standing in the way of the Saudis building a pipeline through the country to get to Europe. Meanwhile, who are we allied with in Syria? We are allied with none other than ISIS and Al-Qaeda. The local affiliates of ISIS and Al-Qaeda are our allies in Syria because they also hate Bashar al-Assad, though for different reasons. You know, it's hard to say that you're for democracy if you're bombing people. It's hard to say you're for democracy if you're subverting their elected leaders with the CIA or through, you know, brute military force. And it's hard to say we are for democracy in Ukraine when in 2014, we subverted the democratically elected government and put in our guy. You know, interference with elections. People moan about these alleged inter- Russian interference in our elections. Well, they don't, you know, which is, you know, there's really, there's no factual support for that whatsoever. But if you want to see interference in elections, you have to look at what the U.S. has done. So, you know, we claim to be uh, some stalwart of democracy when we're interfering with elections all the time, every year. And so if you know the facts, then you read through this document and it you had just have to roll your eyes at the rank hypocrisy that it takes for somebody to give lip service to democracy while subverting democracies all over the world. It says here, we will work to strengthen democracy around the world because democratic governance consistently outperforms authoritarianism in protecting human dignity. 
There's another one. How can we say that we're protecting human dignity when we have done nothing but make war or threaten war all over the world, especially since World War II, in the last 75, 77 years, we have not had one single war that has been declared by Congress. Since the formation of the United Nations, we have not had one single uh, war that was in keeping with the Charter of the United Nations, which provides that no member nation, that means us, no member nation will violate the political independence or the territorial integrity of any other member of the United Nations. And this includes the use of force or the threat of force. Continuing to read, it says, The most pressing strategic challenge facing our vision is from powers that layer authoritarian governance with a revisionist foreign policy. It is their behavior that poses a challenge to international peace and stability, especially waging or preparing for wars of aggression actively undermining the democratic political processes of other countries, leveraging technology and supply chains for coercion and repression, and exporting an illiberal model of international order. So it says here, it refers here to behavior that, popo- that poses a challenge to international peace and stability, especially waging or preparing for wars of aggression. Okay, so... That's describing the United States. They're point where this document we're pointing our finger at other countries, and it says it talks about waging or preparing for wars of aggression. Who has waged or prepared for wars of aggression more than any other country in the world in the last seventy-seven years? And I'll give you a hint: it's not Russia and it's not China, and it's not any other country, it is the United States of America has waged more war of aggression, wars of aggression, than any other country. Possibly more than all other countries combined. And when it talks about not only waging war, but preparing for war, okay, preparing for war, what is that called when you prepare for war? When you prepare for war, that has a name, and it's called the defense budget. The United States has the largest defense budget in the world by far. The United States defense budget is so large that it almost equals the rest of the world combined. The United States defense budget is so large that it equals the defense budget of the next 10 countries combined, many of whom, most of whom are our allies. So this national security uh, strategy points the finger at other countries for waging or preparing for wars of aggression. The United States is number one, baby, in wars of aggression, and the United States is number one in defense budget the second is China, which whose defense budget is one-third of ours. 
and they have four times as many people. So if you do the math, China's defense budget is one twelfth of ours per capita. We have a defense budget that is 12 times greater than the next country on a per capita basis. So it says, it is their behavior, talking about other countries, that poses a challenge to international peace and stability. Yeah, like we care about international peace and stability, especially waging or preparing for wars of aggression actively, actively undermining the democratic political processes of other countries. So I'm saying, what would the world look like if the United States actually cared about the democratic political processes of other countries. If we cared about the democratic political processes of other countries, Nicaragua would not be our enemy right now. Uh, Venezuela would not be our enemy right now. If we cared about the democratic processes of other countries, then Chile and Guatemala and Iran would not have their popularly elected governments overthrown by a U.S. orchestrated coup. If we cared about the democratic processes of other countries, we might take a poll in a country before we invade them. And you might say, Hart, you can't just go into another country and take a poll. Well, we'd go into other countries and do every other thing. I'm sure it would not be hard to take a poll in another country before we invade them. And you might say, Hart, that sounds like a crazy idea. And it's about as crazy, it's not nearly as crazy as practicing, practicing brinksmanship with another nuclear power, which is what we're doing right now. We are right now, as we speak, in another Cuban Missile Crisis. The thing is, when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, the country stopped and watched it on TV. But now it's like, yeah, what are you going to do? says here in the National Security Strategy on page 8, Russia poses an immediate threat to the free and open international system, recklessly flouting the basic laws of international order today. Oh, give me a break. Russia poses an immediate threat to the free and open international system recklessly flouting the basic laws of international order today. What basic laws of international order are they talking about? The United States routinely violates nearly every treaty it has ever signed. The United States routinely and on a daily basis and all across the world violates the Charter of the United Nations, which provides that no member nation shall use force or the threat of force to threaten the political independence or the territorial sovereignty of any other country. We do that all the time every day. Another example is we do not submit to the International Criminal Court. We, if we submitted to the International Criminal Court, there would be too much to account for. The International Criminal Court determined that we shouldn't be putting mines in the harbor at Nicaragua and that we owed you know, multiple billions of dollars in damages to the government of Nicaragua for harms we had done there. So we can't be a party to a court that holds us accountable. Uh, you know, Americans talk about, you know, people like John Bolton and 
they talk about a rules-based international order. Rules-based international order. It's, it, it's like they just made that up out of thin air because the rules-based international order is something that could exist through the United Nations, but it doesn't because the most powerful country in the world decides not to submit to the authority of the United Nations. If we had to submit to the authority of the United Nations, then we would have to close about 800 military bases because those 800 military bases that we have around the world serve the purpose of threatening the territorial sovereignty and the political independence of other countries. The next sentence says the PRC, People's Republic of China, by contrast is the only competitor with both, with both the intent to reshape the international order and increasingly the economic, diplomatic, military, and technological power to advance that objective. So, oh, this is shameful that the People's Republic of China should try to reshape the international order. That's our job to shape the international order. It's our job to tell other countries what to do. So I've got about three minutes left. Let me leave you with something to think about. So, so I'm, I'm reading this national security strategy because it says the quiet part out loud. It says out loud the, it kind of creates this narrative about who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And of course, we are the good guys and other countries are the bad guys. It could never be any other way. It's a statement of doctrine. It's a statement of religious belief that we are the good guys. And, and this kind of attitude works its way into the news media it works its way into the corp, into the cable news. It works its way into the New York Times. And the tragedy is that so many well-intentioned, thinking, educated people believe this. Uh, I almost have to put educated and thinking in quotes because, yes, educated but more like indoctrinated and thinking, but more like just kind of a robotic loyalty to what they've heard in the corporate media and the corporate media is routinely lying to them. I mean, you, the corporate media without hyperbole, the corporate media are paid liars. I say they are paid liars because they're constantly misleading us and creating false narratives. There's a false narrative going on right now with respect to Russia. The false narratives says that they are the only aggressor in this situation. Yes, Russia has done, uh, has, has embarked upon an, a war of aggression. And that's not to be taken lightly, but it's a war of aggression that it has a rational relationship with their legitimate interests. They have a legitimate interest to not have the Western world dominating the Black Sea. They have a legitimate interest to not see, to not, that's a pun, to not see Nazis. They have a legitimate interest that Nazis should not be in charge in Ukraine. 
Why? Because there was a war of aggression by Nazis in the 1940s, and as a result, estimates vary between 20 million and 27 million Russians died because of Nazis. And these, uh, you know, this Azov battalion in Ukraine has a direct lineage to Nazi Germany in the 1940s. All I'm saying is that the heads of most Americans are filled with lies. The least we owe each other is to tell each other the truth and to be duly diligent in figuring out what's really going on in our alleged democracy. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a nice day.